Take your Bibles and open them again to Galatians chapter 4. Several years ago, in our second church, we were pastoring a rural church in East Texas, the First Baptist Church of Van. It was about halfway between Dallas and Tyler, right in the middle, between Dallas and Tyler on Interstate 20. It was a little rural community, and um, we uh, loved our, our time there. And um, one Sunday, uh, some friends of ours in the church, uh, Jim and Pam C., invited us to um, their house for lunch after the morning service. And uh, Jim was a DEA agent uh, based out of Tyler, but they owned a little farm um, outside between Tyler and Van. And as we got to their house that Sunday afternoon, um, uh, we were stopped in the road right outside of their house because there was a cow standing there in the middle of the road and I looked over to the left and there was another cow on the opposite side of the road from their house um, uh, munching on grass. Well, I knew immediately what had happened and I went, we stopped the car and we pulled over and uh, went and got Jim and Pam and um, uh, <clears throat> we, they came out and together we were trying to round up these two cows. Um, uh, by the time we got back out there, the one that had been in the middle of the road had wandered over to the opposite side and both of them were um, just meandering down the road munching on grass. And um, uh, Now this was not a busy road, but there were a couple of cars that came by while we were out there uh, with those two cows and uh, you know how people are on country roads. They don't go slow. Um, they just speed by because they figure nobody's out there and nobody's going to catch them. So the cows didn't realize the danger that they were in, nor the danger that they were putting passengers in. Um, but we finally, Jim got a, a short little stick, and he just lightly tapped those cows on uh, their rumps, and um, they uh, made their way across the street, back across the street, and uh, into the uh, their field. Uh, what had happened is they had somehow uh, gotten through, they had made a hole in the barbed wire fence and it just kind of uh, made their way through that uh, fence out across the road and uh, to the other side. Well, that day I, reminds me of the fact that sometimes we're not careful, we'll leave the safety and security of our pasture, our field, our place wander off into territory that we may not know it, but is dangerous to us. Those cows' behavior resembled the actions of the believers in Galatia. The cows had safety and security in their own pasture, but given the chance to explore outside their pasture, they walked through a gap in the fence and cross the road. Now, while we do not expect cows to sense danger from a country road, we do expect more intelligent actions from human beings we do not 
um, uh, than those of cows. Um, uh, We expect people to know when they're heading into danger um, uh, and uh, possible, especially possible death. Even though Paul's friends in Galatia had come to faith in Christ from hearing the gospel of grace under the influence of Judaizers, these false teachers, they were leaving the freedom and the security of that relationship and turning back to their old life, to their former life, living as though they had to earn what they had already been given free. Paul described their condition in uh, verses 1 through 11, which we looked at last Sunday as slavery. Paul says, why do you want to go back and be enslaved to those elementary principles? In other words, Paul is saying, why do you want to go back and be enslaved to legalism? So if you've got your Bibles here open to Galatians chapter 4, up until this point, Paul has been confrontational. Paul has been rather impersonal. The first two chapters of this book are doctrinal in nature. Chapters 3 and 4 are more personal. But now, here in verses 12 through 20, we find the strongest words of personal affection that Paul uses in any of his letters throughout the New Testament. Paul is not preaching to these people. He's not trying to teach them um, anything. Um, He's simply pouring out his heart to them. He wants them to understand the danger that they are in. Paul's spirit, his attitude reminds us that those of us who pastor, those of us who preach the Word of God, those of us who are Sunday school teachers and teach the Word of God in a small group or a Bible study of some kind, that we are to uh, be gentle towards those whom God gives us the privilege and the honor to serve. No matter how serious the truth may be, that we defend or how bad the immorality may have been that people fall into no matter how severe the disobedience that people sometimes fall into paul is showing us here that while we want to speak the truth we must always speak the truth in love and we must always have a compassion for those whom god has given us the privilege and the honor to uh, minister to so the takeaway is those who communicate the gospel of grace must have a love for people as much as they have a love for truth. Well, let's look here. Paul, the vigorous apologist that we've seen in the first two chapters of Galatians now becomes Paul the loving and caring pastor. 
pastor. He pleads here with these Galatian believers to return to the truth that they have embraced. And Paul first appeals to them, and then he makes an argument as to why he is so concerned about them. So let's look in the first place at Paul's appeal. In, you find this in the very first part of verse 12. Look what he says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. See, Paul wanted the Galatians to become like him. What does he mean? He's talking about how he was delivered from the bondage of the law in order to experience the spiritual freedom that believers have in God's grace. That is a truth the Judaizers had seduced the uh, Galatians into doubting and forsaking. Paul says, I entreat you, I beg you, become as I am, free from trying to earn salvation by keeping the law, free from trying to think that you have to somehow win God's approval and free from having to live by the outward symbols of the law, its ceremonies, the rituals, and the restrictions. He had previously written, look back in chapter 2, verse 19. He said, I died to the law that I might live to God. And now he's imploring these Galatians to confess again their own death to the law. Down in chapter 5, verse 1, which we'll be coming to in just a couple of weeks, Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The reason for Paul's appeal is personal. Paul cares deeply about these people. He had become like the Galatians. He says there, I also have become as you are. What he's referring to there is when he himself came to Christ, he had torn away every shred of legalism in which he had been enmeshed in his former days. Paul abandoned his former commitment to the rabbinic traditions and even to the ceremonial law of Moses. Paul is saying, look, I am free now just as you are, just as you have been. Why do you want to go back to being enslaved? And think about it. Many of these believers, like Paul himself, had sacrificed so much when they turned from Judaism to Christ. They were ostracized from their families. They were kicked out of the temple. They were treated as if they were dead. Yet they were now being intimidated by these Judaizers, by these false teachers, into returning to their former bondage under the law Paul says, I introduced you to freedom. Don't turn back to slavery. And the heart of a true minister is clearly seen here in Paul's appeal to these Galatian believers. Those of us who are called to be pastors, if you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're a 
small group leader of some kind of by a men's group leader a women's group leader if you're a leader over God's people in some way you have a teaching responsibility we must love people as much as we love the word of God just like ourselves people are imperfect there are no perfect people in God's church. Not the pastor, not the deacons, not the choir, not the Sunday school teachers. None of us are perfect. We are all at times going to say things or do things that are wrong and disappointing. However, in spite of the fact that someone does something that is wrong or disappointing, we are called not just to communicate the gospel to those whom we approve of or those whom we accept. We are to love all of God's people with the heart of God himself. And we are to practice grace and mercy and unconditional love and forgiveness, especially when they are led astray by false teachers and are encouraged to turn back to their old way of living and to turn their backs upon the gospel of grace. Paul says, I appeal to you, don't do this. Don't give up this freedom that God has given you to go back to your former, former condition of being enslaved. So that's his appeal. Now Paul makes his argument in the rest of these verses. Paul's argument is seen here as to show why he is so concerned for these Galatian believers. His argument has three important aspects. First, I want you to note his remembrance of them in the latter part of verse 12 and going all the way through verse 16. Having alluded to his early ministry among the Galatians, Paul reminds them of how when he first came to Galatia and he first began to communicate the gospel to them, how warmly they had received him and the message that he had preached. Look what it says. Let's just read it again. He says, you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, of God as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? What he means is what then has become of your joy? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by now telling you the truth? Friend, this experience was memorable for Paul. To most people in that day, a physical affliction or, or, or disease was considered a form of divine judgment. So Paul was amazed that they received him as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. They didn't question what he said. They didn't question the way he looked. 
They had no doubt that he was God's messenger and they were grateful for the blessing or spiritual life they had received because of Paul's ministry. They welcomed him with open arms. But only a few years later, the situation had radically changed. The gospel of legalism had become more attractive than the gospel of grace. And the man who had been their beloved friend had now become like an enemy. Why? Because he had simply confronted them with the truth about the genuine gospel of God's grace. So Paul asked in bewilderment, look in verse 16, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? For in this shift from the Galatians' warm welcome to their cold rejection of Paul serves as a sober warning to those of us in ministry or those of you who teach a Sunday school class or lead a group of God's people in any way. We should not be so naive as to think we will always receive a warm welcome if we consistently teach the truth of God's Word. Many people appreciate a preacher or a Sunday school teacher only as long as he or she says what they want to hear. And people in the church need to be aware that their initial positive response to pastors and teachers who teach the truth, the people will be severely tested when the truth cuts like a two-edged sword and all of a sudden he or she says something that you don't like or you don't agree with. Friend, the church must always welcome those who speak and proclaim the truth of God's Word. Can I just say to you this morning, all the years that I have been the pastor of this church and in my time before coming to Cornerstone, the reason I preach the way I do, the reason I preach verse by verse, line by line, precept upon precept from God's Word, it's the only way that I can guarantee that I will stick to the Word of God and not be influenced by people's opinions and thoughts about me as a person. This is where I get my authority. It has never been my intent to compromise the Word of God because somebody has gotten upset with me, nor, nor, has it ever been my intent to upset somebody purposely just because I'm preaching God's word? There is a tension between preaching the truth and loving on people. But it is selfish love that only speaks what people want to hear. Even when, and especially when you know it's not the truth they need to hear. Paul says, 
I just want you to know, um, you received me at first. You treated me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. But now all of a sudden, he says, I've become your enemy. Notice secondly, his warning to them in verses 17 and 18. Now, Paul warns the Galatians about their real enemies, the Judaizers. He said, they make much of you, these Judaizers, these false teachers. They all, they make much of you. They tell you how great you are and how wonderful you are. But look what he says, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I am present with you. You see, the false teacher's only desire was to win the people over to their side and to alienate them from Paul and from Christ himself. Their zeal was misdirected. It was not for God, but only to support their own cause. Paul is basically saying the Judaizers act like they care about you. But the truth is, they have no interest in you. Their true objective is to shut you out from God's grace by entrapping you in legalism in order to gain your recognition and acceptance. In other words, in order to make them look good. Do you know that most cults show interest and affection toward prospective members? They go out of their way. I mean, they go out of their way to make you think that you are something, that you are important, that they care a lot about you. But as with the legalism of the Judaizers, the true intent of these spiritual False teachers is enslavement, but they keep their motive hidden. You see, they really want your respect. They really want your submission so that they now have control over your life. But they bring you in with the motive that they care about you, but really what they want is that you show that you care about them. And Paul says, be careful. They come in like sheep in wolves' clothing. You know, like sheep in wolves' clothing. Friend, the true pastor, the true Sunday school teacher, the true minister of God will seek to focus people, not upon himself, but upon Jesus. And if you're not feeling like the focus is on Jesus, you need to find another church, and you need to find another Sunday school class, and you need to find another group to attend. Because the job of the pastor, the job of the preacher, the job of the Sunday school teacher, the job of the church is to point people to Jesus. Paul says, be careful. They're not trying to point you towards God. Rather, they're trying to pull you away from him. And they want the focus on themselves. And Paul is deeply disturbed. 
Well, in the third place, look at it in verses 19 and 20. Look at Paul's desire for them. He says, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He said, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. You see, with the tender heart of a pastor, Paul explained that his motive had always been to serve the Galatian believers until Christ was formed in them. We hear Paul's heart here like a mother who longs even through great pain to give birth to a child. Paul longed to see the Galatians transformed for the glory of Christ. He would not be satisfied until that happens. Friend, Paul had every right to be upset with the Galatians. They had turned away from the truth that he had worked so hard to teach them. And they had returned to the empty religion that had formerly enslaved and robbed them of so much joy. And Paul is bothered by this. In fact, he uses the word perplexed. He says, I, it just, I just cannot believe that you would do this. But as upset as he was, his great love for them made it impossible for him to turn his back on them. This past Thursday, interestingly enough, I read an article which reported that Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers has distanced himself from his devout Christian upbringing. He says he's been, he began questioning his beliefs as a young person. He continued to do so through his first years in the NFL. Today, at 36 years of age, he sees himself embracing a different type of spirituality that is more meaningful to him than what he experienced as a child. He has taken bits and pieces of all different kinds of religions and for him, that he's taken the best in his eyes from all of these different religions and that's what in his mind, that's his now new religion for himself or as he calls it, this spiritual, um, uh, uh, this different type of spirituality. Roger's parents, who are very dedicated to their Christian faith, as you can imagine, are quite dismayed and perplexed, discouraged. To them, their son's comments are a slap in the face. It's basically Aaron turning his back on his parents and the gospel which they held, hold so dear, and had taught him all those years that he was growing up in their home. However, the interesting part of the article was this. While their son's actions are very disappointing, now understand, the article also said, Aaron Rodgers has not spoken to his family in over two years. But the parents 
express that while their son's actions are disappointing, they still love him very much and will not give up on him. Can I just say to you this morning, I as a pastor, you as a Sunday school teacher, you as a layperson, that's the heart that God expects from us as his ministers, as his servants. Yes, it's disappointing sometimes. Yes, it's discouraging. Yes, it's upsetting and perplexing the way people act and the way they may treat you and reject you and turn their back on you. But Paul says, I'm not going to stop loving you until Christ is formed in you. You see, that's the ultimate objective of God's true ministers, to see Christ formed in himself or herself and in the people that God gives you the privilege and the honor to minister and to serve. Friend, because God loves us, we too should keep loving others even when they let us down and when they turn away from the gospel. The gospel frees us from the need for people's approval or adoration so that we can confront and even anger people at times, people that we love, if we know that what we're doing and what we're saying is best for them. And although it doesn't always work, this is the only kind of preaching and teaching that really changes people. If you love a person so selfishly, you cannot risk them getting angry at you. You will never tell them the truth that they need to hear. If on the other hand, you tell a person the truth they need, but you do it with harshness, you do it with little or no love or grace, they're not going to listen. But if you speak the truth with lots of love, with lots of compassion, with lots of grace, and lots of mercy, in essence, with the heart of God. They may not listen right off, but you've got to trust that in God's timing, they will get it. And they will turn back from the sin that has driven them away, and they will come back to the grace and the love of God. That was Paul's concern. And that should always be our concern as well. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your word, for the truth of the gospel. And Lord, we pray that as much as we love your word, that you would give us love for your people. Lord, a love that would cause us to be willing to tell the truth even when we know a person might get upset with us, get angry with us, reject us, turn away from us. But Lord, we know it's the truth that they need, the truth that will help them, the truth that will free them. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us in this church to be people of the book, people who stand upon the truth of your word and do it without compromise and without fear, but at the same time that when we communicate it, we would do it with the heart of God, with love, with grace, with compassion. We love you, and we thank you for loving us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.